first an announcement. Um, you are reading your emails, right? That are coming out? <laughs> we have a way of telling, you know. It lets us know if you open it. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, after church today, we have inquirers class. For those of you that are interested in learning about the uh, church or maybe membership, you're welcome to come. Lunch is provided. We'll let you take your mask off while you're eating, maybe. Depends on how much we like you. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling crazy today. Just kidding. Do you see the order in uh, California? You have to wear the mask um, even while you're eating. Ooh, I hope we don't do that. So that would be kind of tough, but we can do it. All right, so inquirer's class. All right, we're in a series, um, a different kind of faith, right? And we've used the picture of God with an open hand and trying to extend to invite us into a relationship with him so it's an open hand. And at the same time, he's extending us a gift, which is to be shared. So the last few weeks, we have, we've narrowed it down a little bit more and said, We've been asking the question, why would we want to? So today we're going to ask the question, why would we want to engage in civil discourse, especially with those that disagree with us, which is pretty easy to find those these days, actually. You know, one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was uh, one of my parents was Republican, the other one was Democrat. So I got to watch them as they're heading up to elections, argue and debate. And, um, and then they went down and voted together, and on the way back, laughed their heads off because they canceled each other's vote out. And, uh, and I learned not to take it quite so seriously. I wasn't a Christian then, so I didn't understand the theology of it. But it taught me a lesson, which I have lived with all these years. We're now just a little over two weeks away, and we're doing this series because we really want you to relax. The whole goal in this series was to soften your hearts a little bit so that you put it in perspective like everything else in life. On November 4th, I know that some of you are going to be very disappointed and some of you are going to be very excited. But the truth is, uh, maybe you're both erring a little bit, that we should be very conscious and aware that we serve a sovereign God. And so um, that's, uh, that's what we're addressing. Why would we want to be the type of people that the Bible calls us to be? Loving, forgiving, today engaging in civil discourse. And how would we even go about doing it? And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, the verse that we read, okay? When we think about the Bible, we often think about these are the things we have to do. And, you know, we have to be loving and all that. But I want to turn the story around a little bit backwards today. Okay, When the world thinks um, of the future, they often think of it as something that we have to create. That's what good leadership is, right? Putting in goals, um, plans, budgets to get us someplace to create what's in the future. But in Christianity, it's actually very different. It's opposite of that. You see, the, pr- the future is our present reality. Let me let that sink in. The future is already our present reality. Okay? We're learning to live it out. That's what we're doing. We're learning to live it out. What were those words? Well, we read this verse over and over again all last uh, a year ago at the amphitheater. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They're what? What are they? They're the new creation. 
You see, we're not trying to build toward the future. We're trying to live the future out in the present. If you understand that, then all of these commands begin to look differently. In other words, you have nothing to worry about. We actually live in the future today. Oh, we have some more things coming. I do look forward to the sin nature being gone. I look forward to the new earth. If this earth is beautiful, I can't wait to see the new one. Right? But the reality is we live in the future already today. It's our present reality. So then why does Jesus have to tell us to do things like uh, love one another? A new commandment, love one another. Why would he have to tell us that? Because that's not the way we think. You see, our world, what is normal for us is a fallen, broken world with my sin nature. That's what's normal. And so the whole process of transformation is the process of maturing over time where we're learning how to live what is already our reality. If anyone is in Christ, you are part of the new creation. You are a new, create, a new creature. The old is gone for you. The new is here. So, I've used different examples over the years. Jesus says to the paralytic, stand up and walk. Why? Why would he have to tell him that? Stand up and walk. Because he didn't know he could. He never walked. His world was as a paralytic. That was his normal world. And so he didn't realize the miracle had already been done. His present reality is that he could walk. He just didn't know it. So Jesus had to tell him, hey, get up. What are you doing? If you think of all the commands that way in the Bible, then all of a sudden you begin to realize that God has accomplished something absolutely incredible with this new creation of which we are a part. And that is, the work has already been done. Now we have to learn how to live it out. Love one another. That means you're capable of loving for the first time. For the first time. That's what that means. Forgive one another. That means you're actually capable of it. You just didn't know it. Who wants to forgive? Especially somebody that's mean to you. Right? But yet that's our present reality. Is we have the ability, we have the capacity to do it. And the process of transformation is the process of maturing where we learn to do that. And we learn to practice it. And we learn to do it over and over and over again. So that impacts the way we do church, for example. If you're in a corporation... You know, if the leadership goes from the top down with a board. Here's where we want to go. So we put in place all these plans to get there, to get from this place to this place, because we're going to build our future. That's not the way the church thinks. We're just the opposite. When I was uh, interviewing to come here, I was also interviewing to go to other places. And one of the churches asked me, so if you come to us, what is your plan to grow the church? I have a plan. What do you mean? It's not my responsibility. Why would I create a plan for something that's not my responsibility? What do you mean it's not your responsibility? First Peter 5. Elders, shepherd the flock, which has been allotted to your charge. It's a verb to cast lots. The Holy Spirit decides who comes. I love the ones that are, well, most of you anyway. Good, you're more alive than the first service. You know, uh, not everybody laughs at my jokes. My kids don't, for example. But it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me when I'm up here. Last summer at the amphitheater, I cracked a joke and nobody laughed. I had to tell everybody that was a joke. 
So that way everybody laughed. So afterwards, I had a dozen or so members standing there and said, well, that didn't work very well. What? The joke you told. I said, no, it was actually very effective. It told me that everybody's humor IQ is very low today, so I have to lower the bar. Ah, I see some of you are laughing already, right? So we, I totally forgot where I was going, but that's part of preaching, you know. You trust the Holy Spirit and you get a dead end and you keep going a different direction. So we, um, what's that? Yeah, grow the church, right? Yeah. If the church has been allotted to us, then why am I responsible to grow it numerically? I do have a responsibility, and that has to do with growing spiritually. Uh, Honestly, during the quarantine, I sat up here several times and just said, like Psalm 42, you know the famous psalm, uh, as a deer prance for the water brooks? So my soul pants for thee, O God. If you read the rest of the psalm, here's what it says. I remember, O Lord, when I used to lead the people, the throngs to the temple, to worship you. How long, O Lord? As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee. And it's a song about how important you are, community. So there's been several times all summer where I've come and just sat here by myself and just said, how long, O Lord, do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait? And so a church isn't about building a future. A church is about building an established future, living it out in the present. That's why we have all the commands to love one another. Do things like that. So a corporation is building a future. A church is living the future out because it's already a certainty. Does that make sense when I say it that way? So there's plenty of passages we can look at and and look at the the back story to those passages, and they all say the same thing. What did Paul say in this verse right here? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. Thanks for reading that, Barb. We are convinced. You see, our future is a certainty. We're just learning how to live into that future. Live it out right now. Learn what it really means to forgive. Learn what it really means to love. We have been given all of that capacity to do that. If I could pull the veil back on any of your hearts before you came to Christ, what you'd find is what looks like love is actually some form of uh, self-protection, need for approval, right? And pastors have to get used to um, preaching and teaching and uh, not seeking approval. I was at Dallas Seminary this week. And uh, speaking to the students, and one of the students has heard me several times, so she and I were having coffee. And I said, here's what my goal was today. Do you think I accomplished it? She said, you know, when most people ask me that question, what they really want is for me to say you did a good job. But that's not the way you think, is it? Not not at this stage of life. No. Uh, I do what I think is right, not what is expedient. Okay? And... uh, And she said, you really actually want to know how effective was it what you said? I said, right. That's how I pay attention to it. To um, is the message getting through. You see, when I look at the church every Sunday, I have a picture. I have a picture of every one of you just taking a half step closer to the cross. When you leave here today, I know that within two days, you're not going to remember what I said. I know that. In fact, for most of you this afternoon, you're not going to remember what even passage I was in. I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me. What I care about is, do you love the Lord a little bit more? And are you a little bit more intrigued with the Bible than you were when you got here? That's how I think. 
And so really what we're doing in planning, when we, when we do what we call planning in the church, is we're trying to discern uh, what is the Holy Spirit doing. So we don't plan from elders down. We do the opposite. I go meet with the Children's Advisory Board, for example, or Julie does, or Julie and I do it together, and I ask them, what, is it, what are your dreams for your children? They're your kids, they're not mine. I've already done my time. What are your dreams? Dream in the realm of the impossible. I've done that with the parents for the students. Well, they're teens. They're your teens. They're not mine. Tell me what your dreams are. Let's fill the board with them. And then everybody gets a marker and goes up and identifies one or two things that are important to them. And that floats to the top as what our priorities are going to be. What the staff does is we take from all those leadership teams, we take all those dreams, and then we figure out what it's going to cost to fund the dreams, and that's what we present to you. So our ministry plan is, in reality, it's a 100 people's dreams. That's really what it is. It's not from the top down. I'm not that smart, okay? You're the ones that have to figure out how to raise your families to love the Lord. I have enough challenges of my own. But once you've identified what that is, then what we do as elders, we say, okay, great. And staff, how are we going to do that? How are we going to help you fulfill your dreams? So you see how different this is than a corporation? Corporation is top down. Church is from the bottom up because we're trying to discern what the Holy Spirit, what priorities he has for us this year. Maybe we need to learn to love each other a little bit better. Maybe that's it. And so that's what a ministry plan consists of. We're not planning to build the future. We're living out the future in the present. Okay? So now listen to these words again. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced of the future. And here it is, and living in the present world. One died for all, and all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. This is where we're heading. But for him who died for them and was raised again. That's where we're headed. So no, I'm not going to try to build a church. By the way, that church didn't hire me. You figured that out because I'm here. Because I didn't have a plan on how to grow the church. I have a much bigger plan on how to, you, how to help you in your own journeys. And um, that's why I've said, when I'm sitting with you and you're sharing a praise or you're um, sharing sin that you struggle with, right? Uh, I feel like I'm on the front row of the Stanley Cup playoffs or the Super Bowl watching the Holy Spirit right in front of me. And look what he says next. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Think about that. Think about it in light of the question that we're going to ask today. How do we engage in civil discourse with those who are opposed to us? Sometimes very opposed, sometimes militantly opposed. Militantly opposed. We no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Why? Because the future is already a present reality to us. There's no longer a scarlet A for adultery. There's no longer a scarlet H for homosexuality. There's no longer a scarlet, you fill in the blank, D for divorce. There's not. The question is simple. Have you, can you already taste the future today? Or if you don't know Christ, how do I allure you? How do I lure you into that and make it inviting so that you want to? That's really the question.
So I've told, I've said many times, it doesn't matter to me what sin you come to talk to me about. That's not the question to me. The only reason I want to know that is because I want to know the impact or the damage it might have caused in your life. That's the only reason. We no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. How do we regard everyone? If anyone is in Christ, they're the new creation. That's how. And if they're not in Christ, how do we entice them? How do we do that? We'll go back to that in just a minute. So now that you have that background, I'm going to read you a passage out of Luke 6. Jesus is talking. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. That's why I say, if you come to talk to me, no judgment, no condemnation. I haven't done everything that you guys have done, but I've done, journal, done a lot of them. I can tell you that, right? I think I said last week that I'm not sure there's anything that you're going to tell me that's going to shock me after 43 years. I've pretty much heard it all. And I've gotten past the shock of it. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. You see, this is setting us up. This is a warning of the one thing God tried to protect us from in the garden. The only thing was the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only thing. You know why? None of us are created for it. None of us are designed for it. To truly, uh, to truly manage the knowledge of good and evil, you have to be uh, omniscient. I don't know your motives. I really don't. So I never try to guess. I just ask you, so why'd you do that? What were you thinking? I want you to tell me what your motives were because I can't figure it out. That's why the Bible repeatedly says, do not entertain an accusation except on the basis of two or three witnesses. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what's actually going on. All I know is what I can see, which is very limited. So we weren't designed or created to know the knowledge of good and evil. We just weren't. And so a lot of passages are trying to protect us, and here's one of them right here. Do not judge, do not condemn, Luke 6. It's very clear, nothing confusing about it. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be poured right into your very lap. I just love that image. How many times have we talked about from up here that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others? We've been loved by Christ so that we can love others. We've been forgiven so that we can forgive others. Ephesians 4, we talked about that just a couple weeks back. Forgive because you have already been forgiven. Okay, and there it is right there. The blessing we get back just gets dumped right in our lap. It's such a wonderful picture. But he goes on from there, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So if you're going to judge, and sometimes you have to, okay? Sometimes parents, you've got to make a decision about kids, don't you? Your kids. Elders have to make a decision about people in the church. Bosses have to make decisions about their employees. But here's the warning. Just remember that whatever measure you use, that's what you're going to be held accountable to. So I turn, I turn around all the time in my mind and say, if this was reversed, would I be okay with this? This type of measurement. How I'm being evaluated. 
how I'm evaluating someone else? Would it work if it was reversed? See how this is protective? This is laying the groundwork for what it means to have conversations with people who disagree. Listen where he goes. He told them this parable. It's the very next sentence. Can the blind lead the blind? Who's the blind? I would suggest we are. We can only see a little bit. We can only see a little bit. God said to the northern kingdom, we'll look at these verses in more depth in a couple weeks, I'm going to send the Assyrians, they're going to rape your women and kill your children, they are my servants, to do my bidding. It's got to be the hardest verse in the Bible. See, we are blind. We think we know what's best, but we do not. And that's a hard place to be. So that's why as soon as you explain this, don't judge, don't condemn. The parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And see what happens over life is as you go through transformation and you start living out the scriptures, if you ask anyone here that's been a Christian for any length of time, they typically become more gentle, more careful, they don't have as many words to say. Somebody asked me, uh, what is it like having a doctorate? said, well, when I got my master, I mean, my bachelor's, I knew this much, but the world is this big. Then I got my master's, I knew this much, but the world's this big. And then I got my doctorate, and it's this much, and the world's bigger than this room. In other words, I don't know. I don't know very much. That's what I've learned. And this becomes an important part in how we um, how we engage others. Because if we're not careful, we become the blind leading the blind. We really don't know what's best. Vote your conscience, but you have no idea what God's about to do. That's why we're going to ask the question and work it through the Sunday before the election. Why would we want to trust God this week? Why? We do. I really want to trust Him because I already enjoy the future in today's world. Oh, it's important to me who becomes a president, but not that important. Nowhere near as important as the kingdom. Okay? Just be thinking about that. But then he goes on. The very next sentence. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is about having conversations with people. Right here. He starts off, don't condemn, don't judge. Forgive, right? Why would you want to do this when you already have a big plank right in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Hypocrisy in the New Testament is a very fascinating idea. Here's my simple understanding of it. Each of us has a, a faith that we state, we confess, and that we are. Here's who I am. Here's what I believe. And here is the faith that we live out. Here's reality. I say I shouldn't be a complainer, but yet I complain. That's one of the easiest examples. Okay? And so what happens is the further apart those two are, the more hypocritical you are. 
And it takes a whole lot of work to bring those together. Because if you say you're not going to be a complainer, then you've got to learn how to stop complaining. And that is not easy to do. Just say it. It's just not easy to do. And you have to learn how to not do it. Or as Paul says, you have to learn to take every thought captive. You have to take control of it. And so what happens is the further apart they are, the more hypocritical we appear to the world. But the more we bring it together, then the more authentic we become to the world. Because if we say we're not complainers, then people look at our church and say, yeah, those people rarely complain. Huh, I wonder how they do that. Boy, that's a loving church. Do we say we're loving, but we're not? Do we say we're forgiving, but we're not? Do we say we're not judgmental, but we are? See what I mean? So the definition of a healthy community is as those move closer and closer together. That's why I've said, if you're struggling with sin, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If your faith is weak, so might been there. You know, come talk about it. No judgment, no condemnation. And so, so I would suggest that there's two big reasons why we would want to learn to engage others who disagree with us. One is, it gives us a chance to shine and let them see the kingdom by not getting defensive. And number two, it helps me to see what that plank looks like in my own eye. Because when I listen to my friends who are on the opposite side of the fence as me, and I hear their arguments, there's many times I'm going, ooh, I never thought about that argument. I never thought about that reasoning. Or I never thought about that logic. Hmm, I should pay attention to that. And so we have two very good reasons to engage in people. It's not to win people over. It's for the kingdom. It's for their benefit to see reality of the kingdom and for our benefit so that that big plank gets removed piece by piece. Rob, come on up here. Rob and I have had many conversations over the years. We've been friends for, I don't know, 15 years? Something like that, yeah. And uh, we, have a, we have a similar passion. We both like talking to people. <laughs> so, you know, I've, Rob's told me many of his stories of talking to friends who disagreed. You know some of my stories. I've shared them being on coffee shops, bars, and and uh, I love to walk, when I'm sitting with somebody in a bar, say, so what do you think about President Trump? It's guaranteed to get a reaction. Okay? I never know which way it's going to go. And then I start the journey of why. Why are you so excited? Why are you so angry? So what's your thinking when you start talking to somebody like one of your friends who disagrees? Why do you even want to have the conversation? Uh, well, I guess initially my thoughts, like if I'm talking to my friends, uh, people that I'm familiar with to some degree, I'm just curious to find out who they are, like who is, um, you know, how do they get to where they are, what they're thinking, why they think what they think, and what are the influences that have have um, kind of steered them in this direction. And a lot of times I find out that I'm, you know, when they push back or they have a different opinion, like you were saying, I find that there's a lot of blind spots in my vision where I'm like, oh, geez, that's a really good thought. I hadn't thought about that. And so it helps me refine my own thinking, which is also a, you know, as iron sharpens iron kind of idea where you have that. But I, I don't know, I guess ultimately I'm interested in who they are. You know, I'm interested in finding out, um, uh, not like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a combative person. 
I don't really like it, but I, I love, you know, I'm a touchy person, so if you know me, I'm like, I love to hug you and touch you. And, and so I just want to, I'm like, hey, I know we're on this opposite side, but can I just come over here and, and you know, do that kind of thing and, and, and love on people? And so I'm really interested in the person. Do you have COVID? I, not that I'm aware of. You just hugged me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How about you? So we have to learn to take, do I have COVID? <laughs> not that I know of. I could be. I don't know. I feel great. <laughs> so, I just do I, so I think we're okay. So we have to learn to take that, uh, whatever that motivation is, the sin nature wants us to, to be proven right. Sure. And wants us to convince others. We have to replace that motive that motivation with a deeper kingdom motivation, right? And I hear you saying that, caring more about the other person than about your viewpoint. Well, here's a question that I often wonder about. So let's say for the the sake of argument that everybody in this room was perfectly redeemed and we're in heaven, What now what? What do we do? Do we still... You know, in, in the redeemed world, are we still going to wrestle with uh, miscommunication? Are we still going to uh, have to deal with, uh, you know, trying to uh, walk in another man's shoes for a mile to figure out, well, wait a minute, I don't understand where you're coming. I, I, or is it all going to be like, I understand exactly what you're saying, and uh, here we go. All right. So there's never going to be any conflict. I kind of think that part of our process of, you know, having to fight like this it's part of the way god designed us so tension. that yeah there's that tension and it 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 makes us have to reach out in order to figure out who we are to some degree it's like understanding them helps me understand me and a lot of times i find that with these especially people i don't agree with i find that my uh my perspective is uh, shifted and changed and, and molded. And a lot of times it gets nauseating. You're like, oh, I can't talk to my friend again because he's, you know, it's draining. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, give it some time to let the dust settle a little bit sometimes. And you're like, oh, I feel better. And now that my perspective is different and our friendship is stronger. And so, not always, mind mm-hmm. you. Sometimes I right. have these friends that are like, oh, I can't believe you think that. I can't talk to you anymore. And they're gone forever. I'm like, oh, no, don't go away. I still want to, you know, how do we engage with this and not let that break it down? Right. So that's the tricky part. I don't know. Yeah, maybe this, this idea of the future is already a certainty and we live it out in the present. What if tension is part of eternity? What if that's, God made us that way? You can get rid of this in nature so you don't have all those motives that are flawed because tension, when you, when you I love a good debate as long as people aren't being hurt. I love a good debate. It's healthy. Sure. Right? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, uh, um, they were talking about spiritual gifts. And I said, do you think spiritual gifts uh, occur into eternity? Oh, no, we don't need them anymore. Really? Well, who needs the gift of healing? And I said, well, I think I will in eternity. Why? And I said, well, first of all, in the New Jerusalem... Uh, there is the tree of life, and it has leaves for the healing of the nations. So apparently we still have some work to do after glory. Right. Furthermore, I asked the question, when you hit your hammer, and I mean, you finger with a hammer, and, you're, and it starts to bleed, and, um, and the blood coagulates, is that a product of creation or the curse? Coagulation. If it's a part of creation, then God meant for us to learn by smacking our hammer. I could sure use a healer about that time. 
right? So I think tension is part of it. I think, I think tension without the sin nature is a delightful thing because that's how we learn. So there's an example of when we're engaging with people that don't agree with us where the certainty of the future lives in the present because we don't have to hog mm-hmm. tie them and tackle them. Sure. Right? Well, and then there's that, like, that idea of uh, bringing the present or the future into the present. Like if I'm looking at a person as someone who's, who's an, uh, an object or a project, like, oh, the Lord has put this person in my path and it's my job to, to save their soul. They become, they, be, they, they stop being a person and they start being some project. And I don't know about you guys, but when I feel that kind of agenda coming from someone, like, uh, you know, there are people in my family that uh, have a tendency to think that I'm not, you know, walking down the straight and narrow or something like that and they'll 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 give me a book or they'll and it's like it's so agenda driven that I I'm almost just I want nothing to do with it and I know mm-hmm. people can feel that like if I'm having a conversation uh most of my friends are people that are not comfortable coming into a church building and so I know that they have these little radars that go up and they're like, whoa, red flag, this guy just is, he's out, I'm on his hit list for, and there's no, there's, but if I have this vision, like the Lord has reconciled all things to himself and I can start viewing that person as someone who's reconciled, it's not my job to save them, but the Lord has has us together so I can enjoy them. I don't have to worry about, the Holy Spirit's going to worry about them. Hear that word enjoy? Not one human has been given the ability to convict, transform, or redeem. That's exclusively and solely the role of the Holy Spirit. And if you try, they know it. So therefore, they're to be enjoyed. Yeah. And I really enjoy them. And sometimes, and this is a funny thought, but sometimes I don't want them to become a Christian because then they turn into this really weird person for a long time where they're like, I'm like, just stay like you are. You're fine. Don't change on me. And it's a funny thing, but you know, I want them to know the Lord, and I want them to know His love. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's a funny thing too. <laughs> like, Lord, I don't understand it, but you do. So, yeah. When you're with people, a good place to start is internally, just saying to yourself. I say this to myself all the time. I'm just going to love this person and be curious. Love, curiosity, and patience. Are the, are the three things that make these dialogues delightful. I get questions all the time as a pastor, right? What's wrong with sleeping with my girlfriend? What do you think of homosexuality? What do you think of this? Right? <laughs> these are questions that come, get thrown at me all the time. And I, don't, I rarely answer the question. I rarely turn it around and say, well, okay, if I were to answer the question, we might misunderstand each other. So why don't you tell me your story, how you got to this question? Because it's an important question. I don't want to ignore it. But I want to know your journey because I'm not God. I don't know the motivation. I don't know any of that. I want to hear the story. Or I may say, well, before I answer it, tell me what you learned in your past about sin. What does that mean to you? You know, And most of the time, it's judgmental and condemning. That's how they think of sin. Right? Just what Jesus demonstrated with a woman caught in adultery. You should be ashamed of yourself. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You want to have fun? Engage people. Don't try to change their mind. Let the Holy Spirit do his part. And you do your part. Be curious. Why would you ask that question at a 27-year-old sitting in a bar? And he said, 
all right, you're a pastor. What's wrong with me sleeping with my girlfriend? I go, dude, you can't get over it, can you? He goes, what? And I said, nobody walks up and asks me that question. And I said, you have a faith background. Something happened, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And that makes me really mad. So just tell me your story. I want to hear your story, how you got here to this question. And then we got, when he told me the story, and I said, are you trying to throw your uh, your faith and spirituality out with your religiosity? You had a bad experience in church. Are you trying to just chuck it all out the window? And he said, yeah, I suppose I am. I said, you don't have to do that, you know. You really don't have to. And that that began a whole series of conversations over time. So why would we want to engage those who disagree with us in civil discourse? Two reasons. It gives you a chance to mirror the kingdom, display the kingdom, so they can see that not everyone out there is trying to convince them has an agenda. Oh, I do have an agenda. It's just a quiet one. Lord, do your job. (laughs) This is your responsibility. But the second one is it helps chip away at this plank because you begin to hear viewpoints that you hadn't heard before. And sometimes it's worth hearing those viewpoints. If for no other reason, it may help you reinforce your own perspective, but it may also help change your perspective and shift it a little bit and shape it. So you're going to have... I'm praying for you that every one of you has lots of opportunities over the next month, two before the two weeks before the election and two weeks after. This is an unprecedented opportunity to shine for the kingdom. It really is. Because everybody is terrified and angry and scared of everything. What a chance to show them that we know what the future looks like and we're already living it and to invite them into that present reality today not the reality they're terrified of. Father, thank you for being our God. We, we count it such a, such a great and humbling privilege to be your children. Thank you for the model of Jesus everywhere he went, uh, luring people, talking to them, especially sinners. Thank you for loving us, for blessing us, forgiving us, for giving abundantly to us. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to be that way with others. And like I just said, I pray that you would give us time, give us opportunities during this, this really crazy time to calm people's fears, to listen to their viewpoints, and to help them. To help them. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So. If-